Welcome to Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, which is a global communication skills training organization. Today, I am talking with Dan Bruder, author, TEDx speaker, and CEO of Blendification, which develops and implements software to harmonize work and life. Check out the episode to hear Dan discuss how communication skills can help you blend work and life, the importance of patience, and how to nurture your connections. I hope you enjoy. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate you being here. Looking forward to our conversation. And to get things started, why don't you tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself, your journey, and what you're working on today? Sure. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, a little bit about myself, my background. I, um, I'm from Florida. I live in Colorado now and lived here for about the last 20 years, but uh, grew up in Florida, went to school at the University of Central Florida and originally went into the banking business. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I figured I'd learn about everybody's business through banking. <laughs> um, had some success there and at a fairly young age, joined a small community bank and was president of a bank in my 20s, which was kind of cool, but I was way in, in way over my head too. So <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> the banking business after I got a graduate degree and went in the uh, timeshare business with Marriott. So Marriott was just now, was just then entering the business. So uh, I thought that was a pretty um, incredible opportunity looking at the numbers in the timeshare space and then combine that with the professionalism of Marriott. I thought they had something powerful, which they did. Mm -hmm. At the time I joined, it was about a $360 million company. When I left, it was about 2 billion. So um, it was pretty interesting. And uh, at Marriott, I did uh, everything from corporate finance, marketing, uh, corporate sales, technology development and implementation, uh, strategic planning, and also worked within a regional team in the West region and uh, came out to Aspen to run a site, which was nice. And that led me to Colorado and I never left. Around 2008, 9, 10, I en ended up going into the uh, the um, consulting space after being a managing director for uh, a business as well. So I left Marriott in order to, to uh, work with some smaller companies and really to stay in Colorado. When I uh, started consulting, you know, right at the depths of the Great Recession, I um, started learning a lot of things about various different businesses and what would make them work. And that really set the foundation for what I've ultimately built up. So you know, over the past 10 years, I've been developing a platform that started out as a, uh, a concept that I used in my consulting practice. And then I started fine tuning it in consulting, but also building it in my um, classes that I taught at the executive MBA level at Colorado State University, as well as at the MBA level at the University of Colorado Boulder. And uh, started working on that, building it out, um, testing it out with um, clients on the consulting side. Then I wrote a book about it. And uh, really the last year and a half, we've developed software that is essentially designed to bring companies and employees together. So we feel as though over the past several years, this has been trending where businesses and employees have been going in different directions. Um, the respect for businesses has lingered. Um, businesses haven't really done everything they could in order to enhance the lives of their employees. So what we've done is we've developed software that essentially aligns business interests with employee interests by using uh, what we call the strategy whiteboard for the business and the personal whiteboard. 
software applications for the individual. By doing this, both businesses and people plan and execute their lives somewhat in unity, and we create a better connection. And of course, there's a communication application that goes along with this as well. So that's what we're doing now. It's pretty exciting. I don't know if we've really looked at software that, through this lens, so it has been very exciting to build. That sounds really exciting, and it seems like the timing of something like that is quite honestly pretty perfect with everything that you've you hear recently around the great resignation, the great reshuffling, whatever it may be, where I think quite honestly, employees are looking to their employers for a lot more, right? They want this idea of it to be more of, of a partnership. And I think that the concept that you're talking about, this idea of blending or blendification, you know, how do you bring the two together, work and life together? And because that, that concept of work-life balance almost or really does imply that they're separate, right? You can't, you can't have them, but it is really hard to separate two things that are just so dependent, I believe, on one another. The well-being at home, the well-being at work really do focus on each other. So bring them together and have technology to do that is fascinating. Yeah, and, I, I'm sorry. I did a TED Talk on this a few years ago, the idea of blending work and life. And um, there's been some pushback on that from some folks who feel like I'm saying we have to work all the time. And what I'm really saying is that we really need to make work and life work together. And uh, that's what we're really saying in this, this idea of what you mentioned, work-life balance. I mean, I think we, we keep playing with this concept, the work-life balance. And virtually every conference I speak at, I ask people who's actually achieved that. And, and no one ever raises their hand. So why are we chasing something that can't be found? Makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So as I think about your career, banking, consulting, working in you know, timeshares, travel, hospitality space, author, university professor, you're running this business now. You know, I would think communication plays a big part of that and a big part of the success and you know, from getting from point A to point B. So from your perspective, you know, what does it mean to be a great communicator, effective communicator, strong communicator, whatever you want to call it. But you, when you hear those terms, what comes to mind for you? Well, it's funny. If you asked me that, you know, 10 years ago, I'd have a certain answer. Right now, I think um, something as basic as communication is, is almost being redefined. Mm -hmm. And how do we communicate? Um, historically, in businesses, we would communicate a certain way, um, which might be we get, we get up out of our chair, we walk down and we talk to somebody and we have a good conversation. Um, while those things still exist, they're not as prevalent as they used to be or as accessible as they used to be. So the idea of communication has changed. And I look at it in the context of, you know, why is this happening? Of course, we can blame it on COVID. We can blame it on a lot of things, but really technology and social changes have really driven this change within workspace and communication. I mean, um, the other day I was actually at, uh, I was swimming laps at a pool and I looked up and there was a bunch of uh, millennials that were sitting around and they were all on their phones. There's like 20 of them. And I said, do you guys know each other? And they said, oh yeah. And none of them were talking to each other. So I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, communication has changed, you know, both individually, you know, socially communication has changed and then also professionally. So now what we have to do, I think we have to redefine what communication is. So I, I, I believe that technology, we've been somewhat blinded by technology and there's been some unintended consequences related to communication because we can communicate technically. We can talk, I should say, on Zoom. 
but communication, I think, is deeper than just talking. You know, we have body language, we have words, we have inflection, we have intention, we have all these different things that make up communication. And a lot of those things are lost in the Zoom world or Teams or what have you. And uh, so I think we're going through a pretty significant uh, transition into what communication really is. And um, while technology gives us the ability to talk, is it really enhancing communication? So um, I think we need to redefine this and what this looks like. I mean, there was plenty of uh, definitions before, but I think some of those we need to we need to look at and say, how do we adapt these to an to an online world? Yeah, I definitely think the past couple of years with COVID and the pandemic have simply accelerated what was already coming. Right, the change yeah. of communication, the change of the workplace, whatever it may be, how we interact with one another. The technology was there, it was moving along, it simply was accelerated. And I agree, this idea of you know, communication changing. And you know, for me, as you move from less in-person face-to-face communication to whether it's video conferences, phone calls, emails, whatever it is, it's really important to be more focused and be more, I would say, hyper aware of your communication skills, the concepts of listening and your intent and structuring your messages in a way are exponentially more important when you're doing that, say, if it's just writing an email or over the phone where you are missing out on a lot of those cues, the nonverbals, just the Sometimes the obviously tone does not come across an email very well. Lots of people right. fall victim to that one. So just being aware of the skills that you use in an in-person setting, a lot of them are still relevant, but I think it's incumbent upon us to kind of step back a little bit and think, how will this be received? Or what can I do slightly differently to get my message across or make sure I'm really understanding what somebody's saying? Yeah, I agree. It's kind of funny if you think about it, because we, we are trying to adapt our communication skills to a different world. And these communication skills have kind of evolved over a lot of years, if you think about it, right? And, you know, how we, how we show empathy, um, reading body language, all of these things were under a, um, a kind of a lens where we were all together and, and we communicated in an in-person environment, and that has been disrupted. So now what is, again, what does communication look like? And, and I think it's, it's different. And we tend to look at our ability as human beings. We need to adapt to this new world of communication, which we do. I think there's another side of this. Since we're using technology to communicate, that, that has to be adapted too. So we need to actually look at technology as an opportunity to redesign our technology, what we use for technology so that it can better adhere to what we're trying to accomplish from a communication perspective. And I think um, we need to look at this both ways, both from the human adaptation, but also from the technology adaptation. And I don't think we're there yet because if you look at what we're doing in Zoom, it's really just, you know, we put on a camera and we say, just do what we've always done and it's not mm -hmm. working. We've suppressed creativity. Um, in, in this context. So people aren't creative in a Zoom world. If there were four or five people on any Zoom call, we know that it's just not a creative discussion. It's not a strategic discussion. Very, very good at tactics, but not very good at more creative type things. So what I think the next wave is adapting the technology while we are adapting from a human side as well. And that's, the, that's where we all, we, we, where it really comes together.
Yeah, I agree. When both sides adapt, we talk a lot about this in communication, both sides need to, to move a little bit, flex a little bit, understand each other. I think the same goes here as people are adapting their styles to the technology. It's important for the technology to continue to adapt to help meet those needs. And as you mentioned, whether it is just you know, two people on a call versus eight or nine people on a video call, you know, what can change in the technology to make it more conducive to what the people are trying to achieve with that meeting? Absolutely. One of the things that, that you touched on a little bit, you mentioned this concept of, of empathy, and that's been something that over the past couple of years has been, I think, really important. Organizations are starting to focus more on it. And I think of this idea of how do you blend work and life together? Empathy is an important component of it. But you know, what, what are your views when it comes to you know, these types of soft skills, communication skills that really are important in the workplace today? Well, um, empathy takes me back to the 90s. And when I started hearing about that word, it really came from um, emotional intelligence. And, and I don't know if that's where it actually came from, but that's what I remember it being from. And emotional intelligence takes me back to Daniel Goleman and his book on that. I think it was somewhere in the mid 90s where he came um, out with that book or the late 90s. And, and you know, that was really what everybody focused on. And, and for several people, we looked at that and said, well, thank God we don't have to be cognitively intelligent. We just need to be emotionally <laughs> intelligent. At least we have a chance. Right. And, and that's kind of how I looked at it. But, um, you know, I've, I've thought about that. And, and, you know, we first started out with cognitive intelligence and, you know, hiring smart people. And that's generally a good thing. And then we came up with emotional intelligence and being empathetic to the person that we're talking to and showing empathy, reading their body language and really matching what they're doing. You know, that, 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 that idea of matching people's body language and showing empathy for some of the things. And it even evolves into sympathy and concern and such, which I think is all good things. But I think communication and connection is, is still evolving and we can't stop at just cognitive intelligence and emotional intelligence. I think we need to step that up another level and add this thing called system intelligence. So we need to be systematically intelligent about our behaviors, how we communicate, how we connect with people, because, you know, especially as leaders in an organization, if we're showing empathy for somebody, we hope that's helping them in their life. And if we are treating them well, we need to be cognizant that how we treat them actually translates into how they treat others around them at work, at home, and in their communities. So I look at it as, you know, um, system intelligence is really the next step from emotional intelligence and knowing not just how we're affecting or communicating with the person in front of us, but the person next to them and the person they live with and the person in the next cubicle. And um, so empathy really, I think, is, is a start of that, but we need to build that to saying, let's be systematically aware of our actions and build on that empathy um, and understanding what people are doing and, and how they're feeling, but also understanding how they're taking this stuff home. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I know every single night we talked about what was, we talked about work at dinner, at least my mom did. And I'm like, why are we doing the work talk? Right. And, and I, I feel like, you know, at work has a, um, obviously a work relationship type connection or impact, but it also has a relational impact at home. Um, with our spouse. And, um, and, and if you throw in kids there, it even brings in a generational impact. So we need to be cognizant that what we do at work happens at home and we need to treat people with that level of respect, 
showing empathy and so forth. So um, to me, I look at it as really three levels of intelligence, you know, emotional intelligence, cognitive intelligence, and then, then this thing called system intelligence. And empathy is a big part of all of these. Interesting. I'd never, never heard the concept before of the system intelligence, but it really makes sense as you think about it, almost to me, the, the ripple effect of communication, the ripple effect of leadership or what happens at work, that person brings it home to their spouse, partner, significant other, their children, how they're communicating, then kind of ripples out to their network. And as you're interacting with people at work, whether it's just one colleague or all the folks on your team or in your, your company, just understanding the widespread impact that your communication or your communication or leadership style can have on not just one, one person, but ultimately dozens, if not hundreds of people because of how they're taking that and carrying it forward. Yeah, I was um, pretty luck- lucky. I mean, you, you bring that up and I, I learned the idea of empathy. <laughs> it was a learned behavior, right? Something that's not inherited. But I learned it in my um, early part of my career, particularly when I was with Marriott, when we studied emotional intelligence and empathy. And um, But what it really made me realize is that work can do a pretty good job in influencing me, not just at work at home. So, you know, that idea of empathy that my business taught me, um, my business, um, and I'm I'm really referring to Marriott specifically, and then some of my banking training, some of the things they taught me, you know, empathy, have emotional intelligence, patience, listen, all of those things are pretty good if you're in sales, they're pretty good if you're in customer service, they're pretty good if you're in a meeting or a strategy meeting, but they also worked with my girlfriend at the time, later my spouse, and it also worked with my raising my kids. So I, I started realizing that, man, these things that my business are teaching me, it's like it's a wealth of information that's going to help me in every aspect of my life. And I feel like we haven't embraced this connection with business. And, and um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, but I, I think about what happened with COVID and, you know, we, we, we've seen people get disconnected physically from work. And, uh, and, and that has impacted communication and connection and things like that. But what we've seen is their ability to do tasks, but they lose that connection or belonging or meaning from work. And they started looking at work as really um, just a, a paycheck. And, and that's really all we've given most part for years, that's all we've given business credit for is business pays our bills. Mm -hmm. But then when we took that connection away at work, the ability to communicate and connect to others and belong to something meaningful, and we just put it on a laptop and said, just go do your job, you still get paid. People started looking at work differently. They lost the ability to connect and belong. And they realized that they can do their task oriented or work from anywhere. And, um, what they did is they said, well, I can do this for anybody, so I'm a free agent. And um, so what, what had happened historically is we just said work was a paycheck. When we took the ability to connect away, depression went up, you know, all the other things that followed depression, um, drug use, uh, domestic violence, all these things went up when we took work, the physical connection away from our people. And we expected everything to be fine. So I think what we're seeing, to me, it, it, it makes me realize that work is much, much more than a paycheck. I mean, it's a social connection. 
Mm-hmm. It's a way that we make friends. It's a way that we learn. It's a way we learn to behave better. It's a way to be challenged. It's a way to be fulfilled. All these different things. And I think that's becoming blatantly obvious that work is as much a economic construct um, as it is a social construct. You know, this is really a social connection for us. And um, I think we need to embrace that. Yeah. And I've been so fortunate throughout my career to work for organizations that one invested heavily in my development. So ongoing training programs, picking up skills. And as you mentioned, a lot of these skills that you pick up at work, you can apply them in many other areas of your life, whether it's with your, your family, friends, side hustles, organizations that you're involved with, you can take them and they have an impact there. But beyond that, they've created lots of opportunity for networking and collaboration across the company. And you know, from you know, company I worked at years ago, I still have good friends. I may not see them in person because they're scattered all over the country and all over the world, but we talk regularly, you know, text message, stay in touch. And you have those ongoing relationships that started from work. And I will say, I've, I guess, kind of always taken the work connection for granted being in sales and education and training. It was just, the roles were very much inherently connected. Even if I was working remotely, we were talking, interacting, engaging on a daily basis with, with our teams. But I could imagine that if you were in a role that doesn't require that much or doesn't have that much interaction on a regular basis with people from other teams, other departments, and you were used to getting that engagement from being in the office, then you are suddenly pulled away the impact that that can't have. Yeah, you uh, you just said something um, pretty funny that uh, we take we take this for granted, and um, you know something that is so ingrained in our life is communication. Now we're looking back and saying, how do we communicate now? I mean, yeah. this is pretty this is pretty basic, you know. I mean, we've been doing this since the day we were born, learning how to communicate, and and now we're looking at it through a different lens, a different way, and thinking, okay, so really, how do we communicate in this environment? You know, and, and I think that that's still the jury's still out. And um, to your point, um, we've taken a lot of things for granted and um, we're in this stage of somewhat, you know, minor reinvention um, and, and work is at the forefront of this. I mean, mm-hmm. we really work is where we come together. We align for something meaningful. We work together with people. We have goals. We have outcomes. We gain fulfillment. I mean, it's not all of our identity, but work does represent some of our identity. Mm-hmm. And most of us are pretty proud of that. And we should embrace that as well. So how do we continue to do this and allow work to be that that kind of that point in our life that really does fuel several other areas of our life? Yeah. And it's important, especially if you're in a people leadership position to really understand the folks on your team and their communication styles and preferences and ultimately what's what's motivating them or really what they're needing at any given time you know sometimes over the past couple of years you know I have employees that they just they really kind of needed the pep talk right we're going to get through this yeah. we're going to see this through things are getting better you know other people just really needed the very clear black and white okay here's where we're at here's what we need to do here's specifically the things that we need to get done in order to move things forward. So it's really understanding not only of your own communication styles and what you like and what you need, but the people around you, getting to know them and tailoring your approach to each of those individuals. Yeah, I was talking to a, um, to a leader of a company, fairly large company recently, and we were talking about how 
he's adapted to the online world and he goes, Hey, I've got this figured out, man. I just have constant meetings and I'm just doing check-ins all the time with all of my people. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, that's like the opposite of what these people want. Mm -hmm. And and, and so I I think his reaction is like a lot of most leaders, they're reacting by micromanaging. And we've kind of taken a step back in leadership to micromanaging via zoom, but the, the social pressures or the social trends are saying that the people want autonomy and the managers are, are, are coming back and saying, we will give you autonomy, but you need to check in, you know, two times a day on zoom. Cause I want to make sure that you're working. And this is what he was saying. And I thought, man, that's exactly the opposite of what people want. So what we really need to be doing is looking at um, how are we leading our people? And I think it's really goes back to some things that we've known for a while. And it's really outcome based leadership, setting clear outcomes and giving people the autonomy to move forward. And then check ins are based on their progress towards outcomes, not what did they do today? Give me the five tasks you've done today. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have a fundamental shift now because um, the natural tendency is to just start over managing, micromanaging. But what the people want and really what the leaders want are the ability to step back and say, here's the outcome. Let's check in periodically and communicate and connect on the path towards that outcome. But I don't want to manage you on a day-to-day task basis. And um, I think there's, uh, there's, there's an opportunity for us as leaders to really change the way we approach this. I hate to see leaders that are just going, hey, I'm just going to get really micromanaged or I'm going to really jump in and micromanage everybody because that would drive me crazy. Wouldn't it drive you crazy? Absolutely. It's a, the, probably the quickest way to get your people to check out or, or drive disengagement at work where you think you're, you're keeping them engaged, but it's most likely going to have the opposite effect on, on engagement, morale, motivation, because it leads to, I think from my view, a sense of distrust. It's that, you know, I'm a professional yeah. Whether I'm working in my office or working at home, you trust that I'm doing what I need to do as long as I'm delivering those outcomes that you're looking for. Yeah, and, and you, you, and the whole topic and focus of communication, it's like, yeah, we can communicate. I mean, because if I micromanage, I'm communicating with you a lot, right? So, hey, I'm doing a really good job communicating if I'm micromanaging. Like, you know, me and you, Scott, got on the phone and say, all right, we're going to do a Zoom call at 9 a.m. every day and then again at 3 a.m. And we're just going to check in on what each other's doing. We're communicating. Mm-hmm. But are we really communicating in the way that we both either want to manage each other or be managed? And, and that's where the, the, the art of this communication comes in, because we can check that communication box by, you know, either we're, we're having multiple Zoom meetings a day or I'm sending out, you know, multiple emails to tell you what to do. They're all forms of communication, but are they really accomplishing the purpose. Totally agree. No, definitely makes sense. So Dan, if you think about your career and the success that you've had and to get to the point where you are today, what would you say is maybe one or two key communication skills that have really helped you, you know, throughout that journey? Well, I think it's, um, to me, they're, they're, they're pursuits in my life. And um, probably from a communication skill is um, patience. You know, we, we hear listening a lot, but I think of um, before listening becomes patience, being patient to not um, and confident to not know the answer, to spend time to allow that person to listen. So if I could integrate or I wish I could have integrated more patience in the early part of my career, because a lot of times I, I felt like people wanted me to have the answer, but that was not necessarily true. 
And, and I learned a lot of things from a lot of people that basically said, you know, that that's a myth as well. So I would say patience. And then um, from a communication perspective, we don't usually put patience and communication together. I love I it. They go it hand makes in sense. Hand. Yeah. So I would, I would really say patience from a communication side is more of a mindset, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that way we have a chance to hear people out. Yeah. I've, I've never, never had somebody put patience in there as a communication skill, but completely tracks, especially along the lines of being an effective listener. It is hard to be an effective listener if you're not patient because you're just wanting to drive to the point or accomplish your objective. But if you have that patience to really understand the other person's point of view, where they're come from, it's going to put you into a space where you really can listen, try to understand where they're coming from and not just plowing right through the conversation. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think that's probably, it's a pursuit of mine. Yeah, I have my own little personal whiteboard and, and my, my pursuit, one of them is, you know, patience. I have a few others, but that's my life pursuit is patience. And boy, I hope I get it. I hope I get it soon. <laughs> <laughs> so not soon eventually right you gotta be patient yeah. with it. <laughs> that's right <laughs> good point so you who's someone throughout your career that you would say has influenced your communication style and you don't necessarily need to name names could be someone you know maybe a prominent author whatever it is but who's someone that has really influenced your style and what did you take from them well we um i guess uh, there's a couple people that when people people ask me that question once in a while and um there's one person that comes in mind, particularly from a career, and, and his name's Robert Van Dyke, actually. And he was uh, he ran sales within um, within Marriott, within our division of Marriott. So, um, you know, we all think of timeshare in a certain context. We get a, mm-hmm. an image that comes to mind. But under the Marriott umbrella of timeshare, the uh, the salespeople gained um, or were trained in a way to, to spend time listening to spend time showing empathy. And this guy, I mean, it wasn't as much as training. He had it inside and, and he had this ability to just listen and then kind of give little feathers of information along the path, but not over um, take over the conversation. And, and, you know, I was, I was in, I kind of admired him when I first met him. It's like, man, he is so, so nice, so easy to talk to, so interested and I was like, man, if I can, if I could adapt my communication skills, I would basically, you know, model what he's doing. And of course, he's, he remains a friend today as well. But he just had this, this side about him that just showed this level of interest. And, and we just connected. And, you know, I thought it was me that he was just connecting with me. What I realized is that he connects <laughs> with everybody that way. Um, you know, selfishly, I thought it was me. But um, he just has that, that sense that ability to just connect with people. And it's not by what he says, it's kind of how he listens and how he communicates and not in an overbearing way. It's always so much fun when you meet somebody like that, that is just such an amazing communicator that it just feels so natural. You know, you've been talking to them for a few minutes and you feel like you're long lost friends. They make you feel valued, that they're really listening to you and taking in what's important. And, you know, I think about, everyone's communication style is different, but it's also important to be aware. You kind of mentioned, you know, timeshares having a certain sometimes connotation to them being aware of, are you in an industry? So for example, sales, oftentimes sales in general as a profession can have a bad rap. Yeah. So being aware of how just coming out of the gate, you may be perceived 
as maybe an aggressive, pushy salesperson, just making sure that you're aware that tailoring your communication style to the audience, to the industry, whatever it may be, is going to be really important for your success. Yeah, agreed. We used the Wilson learning process and it really taught us a four-step module that was basically warm-up discovery and um, product presentation, and then hopefully the person buys. But, um, but the idea that we first needed to warm up with somebody to establish trust and then ask some questions to really understand what they were doing, um, you know, it goes back to a more prescriptive model. And, um, you know, just learning that process, again, from work, it's like that actually works in all aspects of my life, getting to know people, you know, warming up to them before I start telling them anything, understanding who they are, what they want. It, it actually works pretty well. And that's, that's some of the things I learned from work. And, and hopefully I can adapt some of those in my personal lives, too. Absolutely. It's always fun when you can see the skills at work be applied home and vice versa. There's things that I pick up even just from my kids, you know, the little things that they're doing or seeing or asking that I'm like, you know, there's, there's some applicability here, how I can use that working with the team. And, and it always goes both ways, which is really fun. Sure. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, what piece of closing advice would you have for somebody, whether they're new to the workforce, mid-career, whatever it may be, just a piece of advice around communication skills and the impact that they can have on, on your career? Um, I guess I, I don't have to look far. Last night, I teach an MBA class at CU Boulder. Um, and uh, last night was our last class. So I kind of did my farewell, you know, and my, my farewell to them was uh, I shared a slide and, and there was a book that was, was named this and it's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And uh, my, my advice to them was, you know, um, pursue growth and development. Um, and uh, the, the question that came up was, is how do we stay connected after we go away from each other? And, um, you know, so we, we talked quite a bit from a communication perspective, because in my class, I place my students in individual companies, typically early stage companies, and they work over the course of the semester on a specific project. And then we treat the class as kind of an executive peer group. So the question came up is, uh, was, um, you know, how do I stay connected to my companies and the people there? And, uh, and I said, well, be intentional about your connections. Um, make sure you keep your connections and make sure you establish friendships with these folks over time, because these connections are really going to help you. And what I found, and I mentioned to them last night, is that people generally want to use their connections when they need their connections. And sometimes when they need their connections, their connections don't need them. Mm -hmm. And what we're ultimately looking for is a point at which where the connections, the people that we want to be connected to need us and we need them. And the only way to do that is to stay connected and communicate. And that might be sending an email every two months just to check in to see how they're doing, how their kids are. Um, how their business is doing, how their associates are doing, just these check-ins and put those on your calendar. And, and, that, and that's the advice that I gave them last night, you know, be open to constant growth and development because what got you here won't get you there. Stay focused on your outcomes. Don't allow your obstacles to stand in your way. And then make sure you stay connected to the people that you think you can either help or can help you in your life. I love that. And I'm, so glad you didn't just say, oh, we'll connect with them on LinkedIn. And don't get me wrong. I love LinkedIn. Great tool. Yeah. But this idea of really making connections and keeping those connections is so powerful. For me, one of the things that I've really been intentional about over the past couple of years is 
periodically throughout the year, picking up the phone and calling old colleagues, old friends, people that I've worked with just really to check in, see how they're doing, see what they're up to. And I will tell you, most people are kind of caught off guard by that. They're like, what are you calling for? What, what do you need? I'm like, nothing. I'm just seeing how you're doing. But you know, those connections will be important at some time, whether perhaps I need something from them or they're in a, a spot where they need something, hopefully that, you know, I'll be top of mind for them where I can perhaps help them, whatever it may be, but really being intentional with your connections is so important. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, my, my students last night were, um, you know, do I just call people up or send them emails or, or go to go grab a beer with them or something like that? I said, yeah, you, you know, you figure out what works, but, um, you know, what you just said was, uh, you called somebody and, you know, I think email is basically now like direct mail. Nobody pays attention to email yeah. anymore. But if you picked up the phone and called somebody, I think people are going to be, like you said, they're going to be a bit astonished and they'll pick it up and they'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that would be so odd if somebody actually called you today, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a novel idea, but it works. I know. Imagine that. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Well, yeah, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Hope you have the great rest of your day. Yes. Thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate it. Take care. A special thanks again to my guest, Dan Bruder. One of the things that really stuck out to me is his focus on outcomes-based leadership. In times of uncertainty and with so many people being remote and potentially disconnected, it's very easy to fall into micromanaging. Focusing on outcomes is a great way to avoid becoming a micromanager and alienating your people. As always, if you haven't done so, please be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.